We did the breathing thing again. Liz, do you want to go? You can go. Yeah, We'll breathe at like the same time. Like we're both doing something and then we're like... We wait and see if the other person's going to talk first. Yeah. I'm Nina. And I'm Liz. We don't have all the answers. But we do have a bottle of wine and some thoughts. If you're looking for honest musings on life, happiness, health, and wellness... You've come to the right place. We'll even throw in a couple off-the-wall jokes, some personal stories, and of course, some shenanigans. So grab a glass of wine and join the conversation. Hey, Wine and Shiners. Welcome back to a new episode of the podcast. Today, we are talking with Kara, and she is a health coach. We're going to get right into her story. Um, First of all, thank you so much for reaching out to us. That was really fun. I love when people reach out to us about doing interviews because we would have never, we may have never have met. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on here. I'm, I'm really grateful to be talking with you ladies. And yeah, I like was following you guys for a while and, you know, listened to uh, one of your very first podcasts and immediately was like, Ooh, Ooh. like what they have to say. In the very first podcast, (laughs) you liked what we had to say? Um, Because those first ones are trash. Like we tell people not to listen to the first episodes. uh, I listened. I think my, like the one I'm specifically referencing was the one about like women in the media. Oh yeah. I love that one though. Cause that I've watched, have you seen misrepresentation? No, but I've been wanting to watch it ever since I first listened to the podcast. And like, I always like forget when I sit down to turn on Netflix, I like, you know, default back to like scandal or something, you know? Yeah, I've seen of it course. Many times. If I want to get like real hyped up, I'll watch that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna- I watched gonna- part of it and it really got me fired up. Liz, you were on a kick at that time when you wanted so to record that topic. I was real mad about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think when you get present to it, how can you not get a little pissed? You know? I know. Yeah, exactly. Anyone, if you haven't seen, it's called Women in the Media, right? Misrepresentation. Oh, but like misrepresentation. Oh, that was our episode title, wasn't it? You can go listen to that too. It's like back in episode five or something like that. But misrepresentation, no, definitely will stir up some some anger inside of you. Okay. So let's back up a little bit. I kind of want you to start just talking about your transition into coaching because you had a full-time job and then you now are doing coaching full-time. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Full-time. Yeah. So give us, give us that background story. Mm. Well, I think a lot of people might resonate with sort of feeling like you were supposed to do something specific. Like after you you go to high school, you go to college and you get a job in, in the world. And, and what's important is that it's like stable and it makes you money. And I really felt like for the longest time, I felt like that was what I was supposed to do. And so I did it, you know, and I, I, I worked a couple of different jobs, like first in fashion. And then I worked in the legal field for a pretty long stint of time relative to the fact that I'm only 30 and it was pretty like, I pretty quickly realized that like, okay, I don't necessarily love what I'm doing, but like, this is a great job. And as more time went on, I was like, I actually really think that like, this is, this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. Like something in me, like it was like a gut feeling. And so I had been marinating on this idea for a while to like quit my job and open a restaurant. I had been, you know, had a food. How, how old were you at this point? At this point, I was like 26 when I was thinking of quitting. Okay. 
And then by the time I like, I had been had a food blog for a long time, so I was really passionate about food. And I finally quit my job, like right before my 27th birthday and mm-hmm. opened up a restaurant and had the restaurant for a year. And I, and then again, I had that like gut feeling of like, oh, okay, this was close, but like, this wasn't quite right. I was like, this is, you know, it was going really well. And we were lucky to be profitable within our first year, which is like not common in the restaurant world. But there was just like something inside of me that was like, okay, yeah, no, this isn't it either. Close, but not it. And so I sold the restaurant and spent kind of like a year and a little bit of like having an identity crisis because I was like, mm-hmm. I'm, I have no idea what I'm doing now. You know, I'd always self-identified with my career and my job. Don't most of us yeah. feel like that is the majority of us. We self-identify with with our work and that can be dangerous because your work can come and go. And I feel the same. I mean, I completely can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I really felt very lost and very depressed and had like very yeah. bad anxiety. Like it was like, I knew the right thing to do was to sell the restaurant, but then I couldn't help second guessing myself because I was like, okay, well now what? So I decided to go back to school to study health, like to become a health coach and get certified. And initially I started helping people like lose weight. And I got very quickly, I got really clear that I did not want to help people lose weight because of my history with having an eating disorder. And I realized that people's obsession with weight loss was creating a very unhealthy relationship with food and also with their bodies, which then influenced Mm -hmm. their entire lives. Right. And so like very quickly, I was like, I actually want to help people heal their relationships with food as opposed to helping people that want to lose weight, thinking that that will result in a healthy relationship with food. Mm -hmm. And gosh, it's been less than a year, but now I I really have this gut feeling of like, okay, this is it. This is what I'm here for. Yeah. That's so good. And how do you, how did you bridge that gap? Because as a health coach myself, I find it difficult because I'm the same way. I don't promote weight loss. I don't promote dieting. Um, but it's hard because I feel like when people come to you, that's what they think that they're there for. And that's what they think is healthy. And it's just a mindset shift. But how did you start to teach women or men and women? um, How did you start to teach them that that's not what health is? Health is not defined by your weight. It's not defined by the food. I mean, it is the food you eat obviously plays a role in your health. But how did you start to change that mindset? Um, I think a lot of it had to come with like changing what I was talking about. So like, Mm -hmm. like talk literally, like, what am I talking about on my blog? What am I talking about online and on Instagram? And I I started to specifically talk to an earlier version of myself, so to speak, like talking Mm -hmm. to the version of myself that used to think that there was like the perfect diet out there. And I just hadn't found it yet. And the version of myself that really thought that like the happiness and fulfillment in her life depended on her body looking a certain way. I, I actually was just like really vocal that I was like, I'm not anti-weight loss. I'm just not going to focus on weight loss. And if the main mm-hmm. thing that you want to focus on is weight loss, that's fine. And I'm not the right coach for you. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's so powerful right there to say this is... I mean, as you're starting a new business, to be able to say, I may not be the right coach for you. Because I think sometimes when people are starting their their business, they're like, bring it all. Like, I will make yeah. it work. But, but you have to stick so true to, to yourself and your values. Sorry, let's go ahead. I was going to say, they'll eventually like self-select out because it'll become really apparent on their end too. Like, it's obviously leading the relationship. It's apparent as a, from a coach's perspective that it's not a good fit. But they'll get it too. And so I think it's always 
it's never bad to say no to people. That's what I'm finding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would, I think that I, in the beginning, I said yes to anyone that wanted to work with me because I was like, I just, I'm a brand new business owner. I like need to make money. And I, and it was through working with anyone that wanted to work with me that I actually got really clear on who it was I wanted to work with, like who I want, totally who I wanted to serve, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because you don't you don't want to have a poor relationship with the person you're working with. And if you're not connected and you, you're not aligned and you don't have the same values and the same end goal, that's not going to be a good time for you. And you're not going to give that person what they want anyway. So especially when you're choosing your career, it's like we got you want to choose who you're working with, making sure you're a good fit. Yeah. And, I, and I'm really passionate about like helping free up women from the pressures of having the perfect body. And like yeah. pursuing thinness. I really think that it takes so much brain space. Yes. Mm-hmm. I just had that thought like this week, actually. I was like, what if I were spending more mental energy on something else besides, because like I have, sometimes I'll have like just bad body days. Like I think overall I'm a lot, a million times better than I used to be, but I'll have like days where it'll come back. And I feel like I'm the same person I was like 10 years ago. And I thought, what if, what if I just were thinking about productive things and made more space for those things? I'm curious. So you work with male clients too. Mm. So, so right now everyone's a woman, but I've had okay. male clients in the past. So mm. what have you noticed? Because I, I think we hear, or maybe it's just from my perspective as a woman, I'm hearing more about the pressures of women and you know the media's influence on them. What are you, what have you seen from the male perspective? Because a lot of us, you know, like I'm married to a guy, like we may have a friend or a boy or a boyfriend or a brother or what are they going through? Mm. Well, I will, I will speak to it to the best that I can. I definitely think that there's pressures on men to have a specific body as well. And I think that that it definitely disproportionately affects women, but there are plenty of men that have body image issues or suffer with disordered eating or eating disorders. Like it doesn't, it doesn't discriminate, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like weight stigma and size discrimination affects us all. But I think that, um, you know, women are more affected by it and often internalize it more significantly. But I will say this, like my boyfriend is someone that would be considered by our medical system overweight, like based on the BMI scale, like his BMI is over 25, but he's like a healthy individual, like metabolically, like his blood works good. I live with him. <laughs> like we eat very healthfully and we live active lifestyles and he's in this bigger body. And like, you know, comments have been made before about like, how are you a health coach dating him? Hmm. Like judgments are made on the assumption of his body size. So men aren't, they're not safe from the judgments um, from the outside world or from diet culture any more than women are. I just think mm-hmm. that it affects women more. I, I think that we've been brought up to think that bigger bodies are bad. Mm-hmm. And we had this conversation a little bit, well, a lot of it with Holly Lowry in one of our previous episodes. Mm-hmm. And it's hard because when you are told something from the moment, I mean, literally the moment you are born, when you see it on the billboards, you see it on TV, your favorite shows. People I mean, how many of our mo- parents, m- mom or dad, 
have constantly talked about dieting since we were little. I know my mom always talked about her weight or like my dad always was focusing on his weight. Like bigger bodies equaled bad and thin bodies equaled good. And it takes it takes someone to to tell you that's not the case. And then you have to relearn why it's not the case. You have to convince yourself that it's true again. Like I had to convince myself that because I still see myself falling into old habits. Like, mm-hmm. oh, if I gain a little bit of weight, that means I'm I'm not being as healthy as I should. That's not true. My body's just going through a different season of life and I have to reteach myself that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how how do you reteach that to your clients? What do you... Like, is there anything that seems to click with them or do you think it's just practice and time and discussion? I think it's being open to the possibility of having your perception changed. Like, Mm -hmm. are you open to viewing bodies from a neutral standpoint? Are you open to having, you know, weight neutrality and are you willing to practice health at every size? which is a really well-known book in the space by Dr. It's a great book. Mm -hmm. I have it on my bookshelf right over there. (laughs) Yeah, I can see mine from where I'm sitting. (laughs) Yeah, I should pull it over here. We should flip it through and like start quoting it. (laughs) That's a great one. But yeah, opening your awareness. Are you ready to change your perception? Because you do. And that's with anything. It's not just with choosing to see your body differently. It's It goes with like changing careers. It goes with all of these false stories we try and it goes with anxiety and depression. Like, are you willing to change your perception? Uh Yeah. I think that that's just step one is like, are you just open to the possibility that you can see things differently? Yeah. And I also think that sometimes something that's really powerful, at least in my experience when working with my clients is actually getting present to like what the pursuit of thinness is costing us in our lives. And And what is it costing us to be at war with our body? And oftentimes, like I will quote Louise Hay. She has a quote, like you've been criticizing yourself for years and it hasn't worked. Try approving of yourself instead. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just think that when we realize the, the pain of like where we're at and we've like, we're like, I've had enough. Like I really truly want to be happy and feel better. And you're more open to realizing that it's not just based on your body. Mm-hmm. And the way that your body looks. <laughs> we did the breathing person. thing again. Yeah. Liz, do you want to go? You can go. Yeah. We'll breathe at like the same time. Like we're both yeah. doing something and then we're like. Uh, we wait and see if the other person's going to talk first. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, no, I was going to say one thing that helps me. So I've found that a lot of times I feel like women in particular, we're so used to in our roles of being nurturers and caretakers. We're so used to taking care of other people and looking to other people. And one thing that's helped me shift my mindset some is I started by being kinder to other women because I felt like I was doing something nice for them because it's often hard for me to do something nice for myself first. And so as I found myself not look... I used to... I mean, it was horrible. I'd look at a woman and I'd be like, oh my God, she's going to break the freaking chair. Like, geez, you need to get it together. Like, I was mean by doing something nice for them instead, I was able to like kind of take steps towards reducing that self-talk for myself because Mm -hmm. I was not judging them. And so that constant thought of like fat is bad, bigger bodies are bad, wasn't always running on repeat in my head. Well, it's interesting because when you think about the language you use towards other people, it's the language you're using towards yourself. Like if you're Mm -hmm. having those thoughts, you are probably thinking, you know, like if you're saying that's bad on them, 
that definitely means you're thinking that's bad on you. And it's almost like that one thing you say, like when I'm dealing with people or talking with people who are struggling with anxiety, I like to say, well, what if this was your friend? Like take yourself out of this position for a second. What would you say to them? Like, How would you as an outsider explain to them how to go through like this new thought process or, you know, building them up instead of pushing them down. Now that's what you need to do with yourself. You know, we need to think of ourselves like the same thing that you did, Liz, just being kinder to others and thinking of others helps us be kinder to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that friendliness, like just embodying friendliness. So like what you were saying is how would you treat a friend? I think sometimes like that's an easier step than like going all the way to be like, okay, I love myself being like, I'm just going to yeah. try being a friend to myself or being friendlier to myself. That's something else I've struggled with too. And when I've been working with clients is that sometimes we feel like we have to go from one spectrum to the next. It's like we're, you know, we're feeling low and now we just want to feel high. And it's like this black or white thinking, but it's taking these baby steps. And I feel like everywhere you look, it's like self-love, positivity, affirmations, and all of those things are wonderful. I mean, I am one to promote affirmations and self-love talk. But I think it's it's showing people that you don't have to go from zero to 100 right away. But almost- and also sometimes you're not going to believe it. And that's okay. Like people think you're supposed to, I love myself. I am beautiful. My body is wonderful. It is perfect. And it, it feels so fake. You it makes know? you feel bad. It makes you feel like, what's wrong with me that I'm saying I love myself in the mirror every day and I don't feel it. Like yeah. then you're just back to the place where you were bummed out because you're like, I'm saying I love you to myself. Like it's not working. Something's (laughs) wrong with me. Yeah. What are the baby steps? What are some of the baby steps you found from getting to, you know, from one end to the next? That makes sense. So like getting from a place of really not loving our body to then eventually loving our body. Yeah, because I think that some people find it so unattainable. They're like, that's not going to happen. Like this is how I've been. This is my mindset. Same with anxiety. This is how I am. This is how my brain works. It's not going to change. Yeah. Yeah. So what I had already said was just being open to the fact that it's possible that your Mm -hmm. opinion and your perception and your mindset can change. And then I think practicing those friendliness, being kinder to yourself, and maybe you start with things that you do believe are true before you jump into really practicing those things that you don't believe are true. Like I'm... Oh, that's great. You know, so start with something that you do believe in true. Like I'm a really great mother or I'm a really great friend. And then you can work towards things that are more uncomfortable, like my body is beautiful. But I really think that body acceptance comes first before body love. And Mm. I think that body acceptance doesn't require you to actually like anything about the way that your body looks. It just requires you to accept the fact that this is the body you have today. So Kind of one of the analogies that I first heard on another podcast that I've started using because I think it's so amazing is saying that you kind of just like you accept the fact that the sky is blue and you might hate the color blue, but that doesn't change the fact that the sky is blue. If you wanted to, you could spend your days like fighting against the fact that the sky is blue, trying to convince yourself that it should be green, or you could just go on living your life and being like, well, I don't really like the color blue, but whatever, the sky is blue. And then you can in turn, turn that onto your body and be like, you know what? This is the way that my body looks. I don't really have to, you know, I might not like the way that my body looks, but this is how my body looks. And do I want to spend my day hating my body and wishing that it was a different size, wishing it was green? Or do I just want to be like, this is my body and I'm going to live my life today. Mm -hmm. 
practicing and getting to that place of body acceptance at least allows us to not have so much of our happiness and our mood be influenced by our size because we are at this place where we're like, well, this is just how it is today. And I think I just want to go about my day and, and be happy and feel better. Mm-hmm. And then I'm not and forcing you, know, you to like it. Yeah. I love and I was going to say, yeah, me too. And once you get to that point of acceptance, then I think you open up more space in your mind and in your life to make the improvements that you want to make. Like that reminds me of any situation. Like if you hate your job, right? There's no point in... And I I feel like my husband does this all the time. Like he'll complain about something. Like complaining about it is not going to do anything. Like sometimes you need to vent. Okay, right? Like that's fine. But for take a job, for example, you can sit there and loathe and complain and hate, but that's not going to change the fact that you're still at your job, right? But if you accept the fact like this is where I am right now, this is this is where I am. Let's at least accept the situation at hand. Then that opens up space for, well, maybe what is something I can do to take one step forward? Or like, what's something I can do to make my day better? Like maybe mm-hmm. I'm not quitting my job, but what's something I can do to make it a little bit better? And then from there, you build a little bit of confidence and happiness. And then you build a little bit more. And then, you, and then eventually you're like, okay, I'm going to do this big thing or whatever. Yeah. I yeah. think that's so hard because I feel like in our society, we're like, it goes back to your story about having that dream job that like you're supposed to want. Like we're a society of box checkers and we're a society of next level thinking. And so I think it's, it's actually a big shift to just switch to that mindset and say, this is where I'm at today. And that's okay. Because I think we're so trained to say, this is where I'm at today. It's not okay. This is better. You have to be striving for something better. If you're not working towards better, you're a failure. So I think it's I think that's another thing that society has put on us that really it's a lot of things society has put on us that's not in our best um, mental health. Well, if it's not your body, it's your job. And right. if it's not your job, it's your house. And if it's not your house, it's your car. And then it's, you know, there's always we are a society of people that likes to look for problems because then that occupies us. We feel like we have a purpose if there's a problem we're overcoming. So if it's not one thing, it's the next. And that's what I've learned. Like, it's not always about the body. It's not always about whatever your situation is. It goes so much deeper. It really does go down to, to self-love and being content with where you are in your life at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I went to a... Uh, have you guys heard of Kyle Cease? Mm-mm. I haven't. Okay, he's, a, he's a comedian. And then he later became like a transformational life coach. So now he calls himself a transformational comedian. Fun. And I was lucky enough to get some tickets to his he had a two day event called evolving out loud in LA this past weekend. And he was talking about how like, we're kind of stuck in what, in what would be called the achievement trap, which is what it was, which is a phrase coined by another life coach named Brandilyn Tebow. But what it is saying is like, we're always just trying to get to the next best thing. We're always just trying to achieve. Totally. We're always just trying to achieve and achieve and get to the next end point, the next end point, the next end point. And one of the analogies he used was like, when you're listening to music, You don't just like skip to the end to like hear the last part of the song. You actually listen to the entire song and enjoy the song and you enjoy the journey of the, you know, the different choruses and all of those things. And he's like, and that's really how we want to approach our life more as opposed to just trying to get to the end. Can we really, you know, participate in life where we're like, I'm here for the whole journey. I'm here for all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's living where, and something that's really helped me because I'll, I'll be down on myself that, okay, you wasted so many years, like being so angry at yourself or you've wasted so many years 
being down on these anxiety, whatever the case may be. But then it's taking that and realizing this whole thing is a journey. I know that sounds cheesy, but all of these things have made me and built me up to where I am today. So when you're in that moment, like when you're in the moment where it feels really shitty, just think, okay, what is this teaching me? Because it is. It's like allowed to feel shitty right now. I might not like it, but I don't need to have to push past it. I don't need to have to hope for the end. Like... Let's go through this and let's learn from it. That's one mindset shift that has really transformed the way that I view everything now. Yeah. One of the things I kind of want to talk about, so it just, it reminded me a little bit of, I have this this situation right now where my husband actually lovingly brought it to my attention, where I always feel like, like I have something I want to accomplish and I there's always something standing in my way. Like I always have to, he's like, you're always going to find some reason to not do it because like, I like this. Once you check that box, then you're like, well, now I just got to get like this certification or now I just have to like read this book or when I, you know, do this, blah, blah, blah. And I think a lot of it comes down to A, the fear of putting myself out there in any way. Like that's a fear I have. And I have a lot of imposter syndrome issues where I feel like no one should ever take me seriously or, you know, heed my advice because like, what do they know? I know how messed up I feel in my own head sometimes when I'm having like an anxious day or in a kind of a funk. So I know that you, imposter syndrome is something that you focus on and are passionate about. So what are your thoughts on overcoming that? And have you done so in your own life in any particular way? Yeah, I think like we had talked about before we started recording, I think imposter syndrome is something a lot of us feel, you know, of like, we're not good enough to be taken seriously to do this thing. And I think that overcoming it has been one of like, one of the joys of my life. And and who knows, I might deal with it later down the line, but I really, you know, before I decided to quit my corporate job to open the restaurant, I spent the entire year being like, who am I to open a restaurant? Like, I'm not even that great of a cook. Like, I have no idea how to open a restaurant. I didn't go to culinary school. Like, who am I to own a business? Like, like the gamut, like any possible reason why I'm like, I'm not good enough to do this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely there. And luckily, like I've always had a really phenomenal support system and really great people around me who have just been like, you know, you can do it. Take a risk. Like, just see what happens. Like, And there were lots of people around me who were like, you know, you're never going to be this young and energetic. You're single. You don't have kids. You don't have a mortgage. Like if there's ever a good time to quit your job and take a really big risk and try something scary, it's now. And so I sort of was just like, it's almost as if like you're skydiving, right? And you're standing on the edge of the plane. It's got to jump. And you've got to jump. (laughs) So I just was like, you know what? Not going to, can we swear on here? Yeah. I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to do it. Cause yeah. I really got that. I was like, yeah, there's probably no better time in my life than like right now. So oh, yeah, that was my thought process too. I'm, I don't have kids. I, you know, I'm living in a one bedroom apartment. I don't have a mortgage. And I thought to myself, if I'm not going to do it now, I'm never going to do it. And I had such like I, same thing. Like, what are you doing? This is what you went to school for. You've been here for seven years. It's an amazing district. Like you do enjoy your job. Why are you going to leave a great thing? All of the thoughts that went through my head. But then I also thought to myself, am I going to retire here? Am I going to work here for 30 years? 
No, probably not. So if I'm going to do it now, I might as well. And you know what else I realized? It was more of the fear of what everyone else was going to think about me if I failed, Mm -hmm. as opposed to myself, that I was like, that's that's pretty shitty right there. If I'm more worried about what my parents are going to think, what my friends are going to think, what my employees are going to think, if this fails, then that's not the reason why I shouldn't do it. Like, you know, and so then I just took the leap. Yeah. And I mean, you've been, how long have you been in it? You said almost a year. Um, like I started working with clients. Well, that was the restaurant you're talking about, like but restaurant. even, yeah. yeah, but even transitioning after the restaurant, I'm sure. I don't know if you had imposter syndrome syndrome going into health coaching or not. I mean, a little bit because I was like, I'm not a registered dietitian. Like, is anyone going to yeah. seriously? But then like, once I started predominantly working with women with eating disorders, I don't have, I don't have imposter syndrome there because I've lived it and I've healed yeah. from it. And I'm just like, I don't really care that I'm a, not a registered dietitian. Do I think I'm an expert on how to heal from an eating disorder? Yes. Why? Because I lived it. Yep. You know, yeah. and I'm sure, and I've read countless books. So not only do I have the experience of other professionals in the field, I have my own experience, which is, in my opinion, more valuable than reading a book or going to school. It's like living it yourself. I have a financial coach. We had her on the podcast. Her name is Michelle Bobrow. And she I loved me, Michelle Bobrow. She told me, I, I don't know if it came from her. I think she heard it from somewhere else, but she told me this the last time I spoke with her. And I was like, oh my God. She's like, you are the expert of your own story. Like, no one else is the 100% of your life, like exactly what you're saying. So that experience, first of all, that experience and that relatability is what fosters connection and what helps you be a great coach. So, I mean, I struggle all the time because I'm trying to start a coaching thing and I'm like really blocked on it. And I, that's the thing I keep being like, if I just get like five more certifications, then I'll be totally good to go. And I'm over here like, Liz, you just got to do it. (laughs) It's like, you just got to start. You have so much value. We were on a podcast recently and she was talking about her, you know, her past and why she wants to get into financial coaching and just listening to her talk about it. I was like, that's all you need right there. Like you have the passion and you have the personal experience and that's what you're going to offer your clients. The people that help me the most aren't the doctors, aren't the people with the highest certifications. They're the ones that have gone through it themselves and can and can relate to me. Like when you know, I think it's when you know that that person has been at the low point that you've been at and you can see that they've transformed it, mm-hmm. then you have hope for yourself. So whatever they're saying to you, you're like, I'm on board. If you could do it, I can do it. That's what a coach is all about. So Liz, you're doing it. I'm not letting you not go for it. But yeah. So you want to you want to be a financial coach? Yeah. Like I want to do what you and Nina do for health, but do it for people with money because I think the relationship between people and food and people and money is like really similar. Mm. And I've dealt with both issues. So <laughs> feel like I get it. <laughs> it's all about the one, you know, what what are you going to choose that your problem is going to be? Mm-hmm. Like, is it going to be money? Is it going to be that thought process? Like, I'm so poor. I'm never going to have enough money. I'm really bad at money. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's It really ties into any sort of issue you're going to have. It's like a lack of confidence in yourself. Yeah. It's that internal monologue that we all run. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about you self-published a book. Yes. And how did you do that? You're our age, but you've also like self-published a book. Owned a restaurant, restaurant. built a business. Like, (laughs) 
Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about your book and how, because that's one of my fears. I still have a story behind that, that I'm a bad writer and I'm not good at it. And I feel like there's a part of me that's like, I'm going to write a book one day. And then another part of me is like, no, you're not. You suck at writing. So I'm curious, how did you, how did you do this? Yeah. I'm totally blushing over here (laughs) from you guys. So thank you. I guess like, so exactly what you were saying was like, I, I like wanted to do it, but for a really long time, I was like, who am I to write a book? Yeah. You know, I didn't. Same thing. This is a common theme, this imposter syndrome. Yeah. Like, I just was like, no one's going to read it. It's not going to be that great. I don't have a journalism degree or an English degree. I was like, you know, but then I started thinking about the power of the internet and how like, there are so many people who like have gone to school for nothing for, for something that has nothing to do with what they're doing in the world. Yeah, totally. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm raising my, this is raising her hand. <laughs> yeah. And so I just thought like, you know what, like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to give it a shot and like, let's see where it goes. And I think again, like what I had said with the restaurant was like, I just was lucky to have people around me that like believed in me, you know? And that mm-hmm. was yeah. that they like oftentimes would believe in me when I didn't believe in myself. And they would like help me like recenter because there were definitely times throughout the writing process where I was like, this book sucks and I'm just going to throw it away. And my boyfriend would be like, "Um, no, you're not. (laughs) You know? Did you just sit down at your computer one day and say, I'm going to write a book? I think the the thought was in my brain for years. Like, I think I kind of had it in my mind, like how cool would it be to write a book? Because I love books and I read a lot. And I just like, I would do that. But there was, I, I was like in school to get my health coach certification. And I was like, where'd you get your certification, by the way? Yeah. Southwest Institute of Healing Arts. Oh, cool. I've never heard of that one before. Super small. They don't do like advertising like IIN does. And it's yeah. Oh, cool. I'll have to just look into them because I'm always curious. Okay. I'm sorry. That was a side note. So go ahead. Keep going. And I just decided I was going to start to write a book about like health and nutrition and write about the nutritional information that made a difference for me because there's mm-hmm. like so much nutritional information. I mean, like Googling for nutrition is like opening up Pandora's box. Oh yeah. You will always find like one, you'll read about the paleo diet and that's the way that you're going to cure all your symptoms. And then you'll read about the vegan diet. I mean, each diet will prove to you 100% why it is the best diet for you. But that's where bio-individuality comes in. Don't get me started. But yeah, you're right. And that we, we're taking the trust away from our bodies, which is my biggest thing, and relying on a diet or a program or whatever. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go back. That was another one of my. <laughs> You're so, so passionate. passionate. I'm so passionate about that with the whole diet thing because it's not true. Because there, again, each diet could be good for multiple reasons or bad for multiple reasons. Yeah. Like none of them are wrong, but none of them are necessarily right either. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, the, I feel like the. It just like shape shifted as I was writing it. And as I was writing it, I got more authentic and vulnerable to like what I truly wanted to write about. Because I even, I think that I had like imposter syndrome when I set out to write the book. And I was like, I'm going to try to write this book because I think this is the book that people are going to want to read. And then I I just Mm -hmm. got more real with myself and was like, well, this is actually the book I want to write because this is what made a difference for me. And I truly believe it will make a difference for other people. And the entire book is about trusting your body. Hence it being called body wisdom. And it's about no longer looking to the outside world for like how, when, and what to eat. Which is exactly, that's funny because that's exactly what I was just preaching. Now that's, 
And it's, it's true. I think that we're so disconnected from our bodies that we forget how wise they truly are. I mean, what helps me is when I think about babies, right? Like babies don't have a book to follow. They don't care what the latest one of babies were like pulling out their readers. And just, <laughs> They're like, I'm but, paleo now. No, I'm keto. I changed that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But they know. They know when they want to sleep. They know when they don't feel well. They know when they're hungry, all of these things. And it, you know, it also reminds me of, you know, when parents are like, you have to finish your plate or you have to keep eating when kids, I mean, little kids know when they don't want to do that anymore. And then some, and I think that's almost like where it starts. Like we force things onto our body that it doesn't naturally want. But I guess all that to say is when you think of it in that perspective, you remember our body is truly wise and has, is built to work and it's built to work well. We just have to get back to that foundation. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, there's, you know, thousands of years of evolutionary biology happening and we've evolved as a species. Yeah. Um, and our biology is designed for a reason. And one of the things that I, I talk about with a lot of my clients is that like your body is the only non-biased source of information in the world. I love that. Like, it's not selling you anything. Like <laughs> I'm writing that down. I'm literally writing that down because it's it's 100% true. Yeah. It's yours and it's not going to lie to you. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. what are some signs? I feel like we all can recognize signs that our body isn't like there might be something in our body that we need to address because I think it's really easy for and maybe this is just me as a kind of pessimistic person sometimes to be able to like super identify and things aren't feeling right. But what are some signs that your body is thriving? Like if you're treating it well and you're doing things like, what are some signs that things are going well that people can look for? Mm. I absolutely think your energy level is, is um, a really good indication of like, of you taking care of your body and your the quality of your sleep. Mm-hmm. And I think your mood is really important. And then your digestion. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. I was waiting for you to say the mood piece because that's a, yeah, that's a clear sign. It's just when you, when you feel balanced in, in your mood, it's like, okay, when your body is in, at homeostasis, it's like all of those things that you just listed off work well, yeah. like your sleep, your mood, your digestion. Yeah. But you have to be able to be in tune with that. I think the first step is, is being aware of those core pieces because a lot of times I think we just don't even realize it. Like we're just like, oh, we didn't sleep well. Yeah. Oh, my digestion is off. Oh, I'm just in a funk today. Mm-hmm. But we need to get curious about those things yeah. and see them as signs. Yeah. I think we've normalized it too. I think a lot of us have like normal. You're right. And we're really used to normal. And it's not until we feel worse or we feel better that we realize like, oh, we can have a new normal. Yeah. You know? You know, it's like, I'm sure that you've encountered this with your clients, but you don't know what you don't know. So it's like, you feel this certain way. And all of a sudden, like when I'm sure they have breakthroughs, like, oh my goodness, I can feel this way about my body or, oh my gosh, like Liz always complains about feeling bloated. It's like her inside joke. She's like, I'm always bloated. You don't know what it feels like to not be bloated until you're not bloated. So you just think that's what your body feels like. And a lot of times people are like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know that changing up my diet, even this little bit, or like taking away this food trigger for me could make me feel so much better. And once you open up that box, then you start, you know, then you get comfortable exploring and doing a little bit more. Okay. So I 
was looking at your Instagram. By the way, I love your Instagram. Your food pics are so beautiful. (laughs) I'm... Oh, I cannot cut an avocado. Like you just posted something and you had this beautifully sliced avocado. Like how do you cut an avocado so beautifully? I don't know how the food bloggers do it. I do not know how. Did you like watch a YouTube tutorial? (laughs) Like how did this happen? I'm going to fill you in on the secret. So, and also I have a highlights saved in my Instagram stories called... I think it's called avocado and it it's a no video of me doing it. Um, oh my gosh, that's hilarious. I didn't even know that. Yeah. So what I do is I peel the avocado. Like I peel it as if it was like an orange. I oh. peel them too. And it does. <laughs> so I, I got don't. step one down. I peel the avocado. Okay. And then I like use, I use my hand to guide the knife and also hold the avocado in place. And I just take it really slow. But peeling the avocado mm. at like perfect ripeness and getting that smooth edge is really yeah. worth it. Which way do you hold the avocado? Do you hold it horizontal or vertical? Depends on the shape of the toast Oh, that I'm putting mm. it on. <laughs> Any food bloggers that are listening to this are like, Nina, seriously, it's not that hard to cut your avocado. Honestly, <laughs> Mine is like chunky and gray. It's like, it was one of the most requested things ever. Like aside from like the question of how do I stop binge eating, which is like the n- number one question that I get, because that's what I specialize in is helping women break, break free from binge eating. The other mm-hmm. question is how do you slice your avocados? <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that. So the reason I even brought it up, because I was like looking through your Instagram and you had a post and you, it was all about balance. Like eating healthy foods is okay. And then eating pizza is okay. And so how do you marry those two things? Because I, I know like obviously as a health coach or whatever, it's like, we do want to feed our body nourishing things, but it's okay if you have your ice cream. It's okay if you have your pizza. How do you balance those two nutritional standpoints? Yeah. Well, I think that in the world of health, there's we, some of us have gotten really all or nothing. We've gotten like really mm-hmm. black and white. We've gotten really on the wagon or off the wagon. And we've really gotten like, you're eating clean or you're eating poison. And I think that it's the all or nothing attitude that slips so many of us up and has us feel bad when we're like eating in a way that we see is not okay. Mm-hmm. And so for me, and also what I teach others is like really understanding that like there is a happy medium. Like there is this place where you can eat nourishing food that's good for you on a biological, physical level that's going to, you know, feed your cells and decrease inflammation. And it's also really important fundamentally as humans to receive pleasure from our food. And like, don't get me wrong. I love kale salad and avocado toasts, but there are like French fries. I love French fries too. And I think eating pleasure from food is hardwired into our biology. Like we have a natural inclination to seek out pleasure and avoid pain and understanding that it is natural and normal and even healthy to allow yourself to receive pleasure from foods that might not be biologically nourishing, but they're emotionally nourishing is really important. And I think we have a very polarizing world in health, especially right now where it's like, you know, processed foods are the devil. And like, don't get me wrong. There's lots of problems with processed foods and fast foods, not only from like a, a human individual health standard, but from like our government involvement in food subsidies and farm bills all the way down to, you know, large chemical companies like Monsanto and the, you know, depletion of our natural resources and the environment. Like I could go on and on and on. There's lots of things about that that I don't love. But I think that like having this mindset of like, oh, you can't have it 
is problematic. And I think it, yeah. it makes people feel bad. It makes people want to rebel where they're like, they, they go from like, oh my God, I don't want anything to do with healthy food and they rebel against it. Or they end up getting into this like diet binge cycle where they feel really bad about themselves for eating these foods. And so I like to encourage people to embrace the idea of like, you really can't have it all. Mm-hmm. Food is just food. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just, it is. Uh, your body will tell you if you're, I mean, we don't want to eat French fries every day, obviously. Yeah. When you eat French fries every day, you're not going to feel great. If you eat pizza every day, you're not going to feel great. But if you are eating food in general, regardless of what it is, that is serving your body and you enjoy French fries, because I freaking love French fries. It's like my my one thing. I eat them and I'm so happy. Like I love French fries. It's you. It's that feeling of like, I'm. it's that holistic view. Like I'm serving my body, not only nutritionally in all these other ways, but I'm serving it spiritually. I'm serving it emotionally. We're not, you know, that is part of being human. We have all of these sides of us, mind, body, spirit. Yeah. We got to feed it all. Yeah. And Liz, I, what were you going to say? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. I was just going to say... <laughs> um, I read your blog post because one of the things I'm really bad about doing, and you recently wrote about this, was like, because you had that chickpea pasta with like a cashew sauce. And that's one of the things like you wrote about how like basically, you know, you've taken some of those those bad foods and you're like making them healthier, but it's still, there's a lot of negative talk then around those foods we were just talking about. And I do that. I find I'm doing that all the time, especially lately. I'll be like, oh, it's a, I'm having chickpea blondies. Like I can't have I can't have a real blondie, but I can have a chickpea blondie, or I can have chickpea pasta, or I can have like not just chickpeas, any other substitute of choice for <laughs> healthier alternatives to like feel like I'm still eating some of those foods. Yeah. But I definitely still feel like I crave a lot of those like quote unquote bad foods. So I just thought it was interesting that whole I- idea of like, oh, I am being bad because I had pasta and it was chickpea pasta. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I- so that article like was about the fact that like, like I genuinely, so back to like what uh, Nina was saying, and then it ties into what you were saying, Liz, like mm-hmm. you were talking about, like, if you actually start to tune into your body, like so many of us think that if we don't control our food and try to eat healthily, that we're just literally going to be face first in chips a whole all day. But if you're mm-hmm. listening to your body, you're going to, end up feeling pretty crappy if you're putting in foods that aren't really nourishing and like nutritionally dense foods. So it's only a matter of time before your body's like, I'm really sick of chips. Ahoy. I really just need like some kale salad and some chicken. And if if we're in tune with our body and we trust our body and we're not constantly trying to control it and manipulate it by manipulating our food, we're going, our body's going to be like, we want to feel good. These foods make us feel good. It's okay to have the French fries, but like likely it's likely that like eventually our body's going to be like, okay, we want, we want the kale again. And so like with the, with that blog post that you were mentioning, like I get asked all the time, like, do I eat regular versions of things or do I eat the fat versions or the cheat versions mm-hmm. of like pasta? And like, truthfully, like I, love the alternative pastas, not because I think I'm being good or they're clean, but because I actually feel physically better when I eat that. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you know what? I was going to interrupt earlier because that's my thing too, is that I enjoy eating those more because I feel better eating them. It's not... I don't even think of things like, this is good, this is bad. It's just if I eat something else, like for example, if I go to an Italian restaurant and I get like really heavy, heavy dairy... Um, 
wheat pasta, I don't feel as good eating that. But when I eat bonza pasta with like a pesto or whatever, I love my bonza pasta. I feel wonderful. So it's just, yeah, it tastes good and it makes me feel great. And and I want to specifically clarify that we're not talking about mentally we feel good. Physically Mm -hmm. we feel good. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like I've learned over the years that when I eat white flour and I've learned this just through like the years of becoming an intuitive eater and, you know, doing an uh, an elimination diet at one point recently, actually, I realized that white flour triggers anxiety and it also really um, spikes my blood sugar and then drops it. So I want to take a nap pretty quickly afterwards. And so it's my like desire to eat like, you know, what, like the regular pasta, as people would say, isn't very high. And on top of that, I don't view it as regular pasta. And then the bonza pasta is not regular pasta. I'm just like, this is pasta and one's made with wheat, yeah. made with chickpeas. That's all. Like I Man. have it in my mind mm-hmm. that like one's good and one's bad. I just am like, this mm-hmm. is the one I'd rather eat. Mm-hmm. You know what? And sometimes I struggle with that when it comes to intuitive eating. And this is a really great question for you because... I feel like it can be triggering. So I will post... If you go to my Instagram page, for example, you'll see a lot of gluten-free and dairy-free meals. And I love the way you described it because that's completely my philosophy. I'm not eating these things because... I'm not posting these things because I'm like, this is healthy and that is bad. I'm posting this because it's amazingly delicious. Like today, right after our call, I'm going to be making um, paleo cinnamon uh, bread and apple cinnamon bread. I'm like, this is going to be great because I'm craving it. But I'm choosing to make it with coconut flour and I'm choosing to make it with almond flour because that's what makes my body feel good. But sometimes I think people find that triggering like, okay, you're still you're still putting food into categories. And that's not what we want with intuitive eating. We want everything to be okay. And I want to somehow streamline that and say, this is still intuitive eating. I mean, I'm still listening to what my body wants. And you can eat certain foods and you don't feel terrible eating them, then please eat them. But do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, how do you not become triggering in the intuitive eating world when you seem to be putting out food that is quote unquote healthier in the, in a diet category, if that makes sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I've, I've definitely been present to this recent conversation that a lot of people in like the eating disorder and the body positivity realm have been saying, and that is that wellness culture is the new diet culture. Mm-hmm. And that eating, you know, bonza pasta is eating the diet version of yeah. pasta. And ultimately what it does is it comes back to your mindset and your mental framework and your perception. So if your perception of yourself is that if you're eating the bonza pasta, you're being good. And your perception of yourself is when you're eating pasta made with white flour, you're being bad. It's not really about the pasta. It's literally about how you think about the pasta. Mm, that's so good. Yeah. So I, that's just what I tell people is like, I don't, I'm not trying to promote clean eating. It's not what I'm doing. I'm truly promoting intuitive eating and I'm really passionate about the health of my body and I'm really passionate about feeling good. And I've learned that this eating this way makes me feel really awesome. And I mm-hmm. always tell people that it's not about the foods you eat. It's about what you think about Yes. Oh my gosh. I have to write that down too. So (laughs) it's not about the foods you eat. It's about the way you think about the foods you eat. Yeah. Yeah, Because I definitely, I try intuitive eating. It's hit or miss, but I definitely fall into the camp of like, oh, this is the good version and this is the bad version. Mm -hmm. Like this is my coconut milk ice cream and this is my Haagen-Dazs and like one's good for me. And well, you know, what's funny. Choice. 
is your coconut ice cream is probably filled with sugar anyway. So it's like, it doesn't, yeah. Like even, um, like the, the bread I'm going to be making tonight is going to have like honey in it and all this stuff. It's sugar, sugar. So it's like, you can choose to say this is the healthy version and this is the unhealthy version. But when it comes down to it, it's really about does the dairy and the Hagen das is that how you say it? Yeah. <laughs> is it the dairy that's making you feel bad? Or is it, you know, is it the sugar in your coconut ice cream? I mean, who knows? It could be anything. Yeah. I like Liz, I think a lot of like what you're saying, so many people can relate to. And I know I relate to it too. Like I very much used to have like very hard opinions about certain types of foods. And I really was like, I'm okay if I eat this way and I'm not okay if I eat this way. And if I cross that line of not okay, I'm just like, all hell breaks loose. I'm off to the races. Like, I I don't know if you resonate with being a binge eater, having an eating disorder, but Mm -hmm. like I would eat one food on like my not okay list. And I would just be like face first in a tub of ice cream for the next like five hours. And so having, so getting to a place of like food neutrality to a sense, right? Like to a degree, like I'm, you know, as someone who's really passionate about the health of the planet, it's hard for me to view all foods the same truly. Cause I do think that like genetically modified foods and processed foods and mass produced foods are harmful to the environment. And I really love like locally sourced, you know, foods that you would get at the farmer's market. But I think getting to the place of like, you're okay, no matter what you choose to eat is more, is even more powerful than actually saying all foods are equal, but just realizing that you're okay for what you choose to eat, not you're okay based on what you eat. Mm-hmm. You're okay no matter what you eat. Such a you subtle stay shift, constant. Yeah. What'd you say, Liz? It's such a subtle, like subtle difference, but a big one. Yeah. Yeah. It's like realizing that you aren't the food. Like you are the constant. Like you're not going to change your your mindset, your person, who you are, your spirit is not going to change depending on the pizza or the or the Man, chickpea blondie. Like, that'd be fun. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny that this, these com- conversations seem to resurface in so many of our episodes mm-hmm. because how the, it's such an important topic. I feel like it's going to start transforming. I really do because all of us are talking about it. Like you're talking about it. Me and Liz are talking about it. How many podcasts are talking about it? And wellness gets a bad rap sometimes. Like you said, it's like the new diet. But I think it's just people starting to open up and be like, there's, this, there's a different way. Yeah. And so the more of us that are sharing this side of wellness... I don't even really love the term wellness, but this side of living, I just think it's going to, it's going to open up women to this idea of really loving who they are, I guess, and not thinking of food as just good or bad. Yeah. Or a tool to manipulate your body. Because I think yeah. a long, like, I think that like oftentimes if, if we're not okay with how we look, we're often not okay with how we eat. And if we're okay with how we look, we're okay with how we eat. Mm -hmm. And if we're not attached, if our self-worth is not attached to our body looking a certain way, we're not going to be attached to a certain way of eating. We're just going to eat how we want to eat and eat what tastes good and eat what makes us feel good. We're not going to eat as a way to change our bodies because we're okay with our bodies. Mm -hmm. And that even goes deeper. Like if you're not okay with how you look, you're probably not okay with, I don't want to say who you are, but it's coming. It's like really getting down and deep into like accepting who you are, like all pieces of who you are. Your person, like the good and the, the bad. Physical like probably like the first step of that. Like, yeah, the physicals, like obviously the first thing you're noticing. And then like the emotions take even more work to get at the heart of 
I feel like I was opposite, Liz. Like, I feel like Uh I had to accept myself emotionally before I had to... No, I was the opposite. I had to accept the way that my mind worked and the way that I felt like I was different than everybody else. And then once I started to accept that, and then I realized I loved more parts of myself. Like then I loved my body for how it was. And then, yeah. So it's it's funny because me and you have opposite stories in a way. Like yours is more rooted in body image. And I guess mine was more rooted in, I don't even know what to call it. Mental image. <laughs> Mental image, maybe. Mental image. Yeah. I think mine was a combo. Body image was like my biggest struggle, like in my early adulthood, for sure. It was just like, it ruled everything. But there was also that like, I'm uniquely broken or messed up or not good enough. Yeah. Worthy, like all that. I bet you one's just higher on the spectrum than others because... I obviously, it's not to say I don't struggle with body image because I absolutely did and I absolutely still do. It's a, you know, we're always going to have our days. And it's not to say, Liz, that you didn't struggle with like the mental stuff too. But I wonder if some of us have, it's like (laughs) one's a little bit stronger, you know? Holistic view, holistic viewpoint. This conversation has been so wonderful. Yay. Yeah, I think so too. I'm loving it. And I love what you said that you think that it's just like continuing to be talked about more and more. That that's because women are realizing how important this is to us really like embodying our female energy and our female balance and our place in the world. And I think Mm -hmm. freeing us up from body stigma and really having a relationship with food that honors ourselves and allows us to powerfully show up because food really affects us, like our energy, our mood, our health, which affects what we're able to do in our day-to-day lives. So like, yes, it's a very holistic, like zoomed out lens on the issue. But I think that having a good relationship with our body and food really allows us to powerfully show up in our lives. It's a women empowerment issue. It is. Do you guys read Rebecca Black's books at all? Um, like Rise, Sister, Rise and... Oh, what's the other one? White is the New Black, I think it is. Oh, I can think I about mean, it's Rebecca Black that sang Friday. That Friday song. Wait a yeah. minute. Hold on, hold on. Because it's, it's not Rebecca Black. It's Rebecca Campbell. <laughs> okay. That's, that's, her, that's her real name, Rebecca Campbell. I just bought her tarot cards. They're awesome. But her books are really rooted in like this women rising movement that we're in and we're in this new era. And I think that Cause I, you know, when I get all into my spiritual, like hippy dippy self, I think that that's where we're going is like, we're realizing that we're worth it. And so that's why all of this is starting to unravel. It's like, we don't need to be bound by our food anymore. We don't need to be bound by our body. Like we don't need to be bound by our jobs. Like let's all society. talk about this. Yeah. Like society, like women, here we go. Yeah. Our voices are rising like collectively. And I think totally. that like we're like for the longest time, our brains were colonized with this belief of like women were supposed to be a certain way, do a certain thing, look a certain way, you know, be seen, not heard, all of that. And collectively we're like leaving the colony and we're actually yeah. like raising each other up and letting our voices be heard. Yeah. And that's why I think it's so uncomfortable too, because you have to face your shit. And now right now what's happening is a lot of us are either facing it head on and having these conversations and making it out on the other side and sharing. Or some of us are in this space where we're like, I understand something's wrong. What's happening? What's happening? And you either, you're either going to shut down, but so many of us are sharing our stories that it's encouraging everybody else. It's like, don't do that. Don't revert back. Like we're going to push through. We're going to make this happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're so lucky to have, I know, (laughs) we're so lucky to have people and coaches like you that are doing this work. Where can our listeners find you? Where can they read your book? Where can they 
get all of the goods. Hmm. Thank you. <laughs> everybody's lucky to have us all. Yay. And I'm uh, grateful to have been on here and chatted with you guys. You can find me at karaskitchen.net online, at karaskitchen on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. Um, and the book is on Amazon. Yay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Thank you for having me.